Hello everyone and welcome to my show Making a Difference. My name's Coach Kizzy Harris and in today's show we're going to be talking about creating space. So I've got a declutterer lined up to interview. Her name is Jennifer Matthew and she's going to be talking about firstly how she transitioned from the public sector into the role of um, a self-employed declutterer and also what decluttering does and the benefits of being able to create physical space within uh, our lives. And for those of us that celebrate the Christian faith, we've just moved into the season of Lent. So I'm going to be touching on what that means around spiritual spring cleaning and spiritual decluttering. So do stay tuned for that. Well, it's now time to introduce my guest. So welcome, Jennifer, and thank you for joining me. Hello, Kizzy. <laughs> Hi. Lovely Hi. to be here. Thank you. Now, um, Jennifer, you're currently self-employed, but before we sort of get on to talking about your new career, could you share with the listeners a little bit about your background, which I believe was sort of in the public sector in some domain? That's right. I was an occupational therapist, or I am an occupational therapist, and although I started at the very beginning working in the uh, health service, I quite quickly transferred over to working for the county council in what at the time was social services and did about uh, 20 years working as an occupational therapist and four years as a team manager before actually ultimately I, I stopped working for them full time. So for those that are listening that aren't quite sure, can you just sort of give a quick outline of what the role of an occupational uh, therapist is? I think it's one of those lovely uh, jobs because there are lots of different, uh, once you've trained, there are lots of different ways that you can work and places that you can work. And actually the role's very different in the health service from out in the community Obviously, I was based in the community, and that's very much visiting people in their homes, people who are frail or elderly or disabled, and actually just talking to them, listening to them tell you about their lives, what they find challenging, from a point of view of their disability and the way that stops them doing the things they want to do, day-to-day -day things from getting out of bed, being able to wash themselves, make themselves drinks... Uh, doing their laundry, anything you can think of through the day and then actually trying to find, help them to find ways of managing that and that's often through providing equipment or adaptations to their home or it might be thinking in broader ways whether they actually need care to help them. It can be a whole range of different things but it's very much problem solving for people. Sounds a fascinating uh, job. What was it that originally attracted you then to occupational therapy? How did you sort of get into it, so to speak? I always think I was incredibly lucky because the number of young people that, you know, you know in your life and for them it's a real struggle to know what they want to do in their lives. And I think I was really lucky because when I was um, a very young teenager... I can remember sort of the idea of, of work placements that, that schools do came up and a friend of the family who was a midwife actually already worked in the health service. We were talking about it with her there and she said that she thought I might be good at something like occupational therapy which I don't think anyone in my family had heard of before and she thought I'd be good at it because I was 
quite a creative person and quite bossy. <laughs> now, in hindsight, I think that's quite cruel. <laughs> and actually, I think it's mm-hmm. uh, that's actually generally not true of occupational therapists. They are very creative problem solvers, though. And I, I think probably to do the job well, do need to be quite assertive, but be quite tuned in to people as well. And actually, I did a work placement and then I did work placements um, at the local hospital every summer, actually. And it was a perfect fit and I've loved it ever since. So having loved it ever since, um, you did actually make the transition from... um, Uh, working as an occupational therapist into setting up your own uh, business so looking back what were the sort of signs that you were ready to move on from a career that you'd previously loved? Yeah I uh, it is an interesting one and I mean I was with the county council for just under 24 years and as I said the last four years of that was as a a team manager uh, moving around managing different teams that were anywhere between about 15 people and about about 26. And I am the kind of person, I'm, I'm quite aware of what I'm like. I do like fresh challenges. And even as an occupational therapist, I tended to work peripatetically. So I would move around different teams as they needed me. And for me, that kind of kept it fresh and interesting. And there was always something slightly different. And I think sometimes in your career, you kind of you do the same job and you do love it but then there comes a point where you need something different something more interesting just change really so you progress up a ladder doing different roles and for lots of people you know getting higher up the career ladder and then there comes a point where you you kind of reach a point where you don't want to climb higher but you can't see other ways of of getting that creative buzz, if you like. I think for me, the other thing that was a a big factor was um, life very much changed in the county council. Money, as everyone knows, became very tight. Budgets everywhere started being cut. People were really working hard. And I, I just didn't feel I had the time to do the job as well as it needed to be done. And I found that very hard trying to meet the demands of that and to not feel that I was failing in that. And I do think you have a duty of care. Well, you you do have a duty of care towards not just the people you work with, but particularly your clients. And if you don't feel you can meet that duty of care safely, then actually the only person who can step back and say, this isn't safe, I don't feel safe working like this, is yourself. And you have to take ownership of that. So it was partly that, it was partly the need for change and it was partly I just felt worn down and I reached a point that actually went on for a good couple of years where I felt I just I just have to get out because if I don't get out I'm, I'm going to be just exhausted um, and, and that to me... I didn't want to get out because I had to get out. I preferred to get out because I chose to get out. And at the end of the day, that's what I did. Mm. And actually, your story resonates with a lot of um, other people who um, 
I've worked with who have become quite unhappy in their public sector roles where things have changed um, and actually for, for all the reasons that you've said. But actually they're, they're afraid of leaving. They, they kind of know that they really need to um, but are quite afraid of leaving the security, I guess, of uh, public sector uh, work. Um, how true was that of, of you? Oh, enormously. <laughs> I just think... You know, I, I'd gone from school to, to college to become an occupational therapist and then I'd gone straight from there into employment and I'd been in employment um, for, for that period of time, 25 years, um, including the health service and you just can't overestimate how big a deal it feels to step out of the rut you're in into the unknown you just have always known that life you've always been employed and had an employer who's looked out for you admittedly not always well at times but actually there is a lot of safety in that and for me there was also I realized over time a lot of um, my identity of who I was was caught up in that and that for me became the biggest battle I had resolving how I saw myself in that role actually suddenly I realized how much I saw myself in the rest of my life in those roles it was it was a very strange process um and although I didn't actually realize how big that aspect was until I'd really pretty much made the decision that I needed to go it, it was more things like stepping out of the rut that I was in into an unknown world and actually what what would I do because when you're really tired and you're working you come home and at that time I was coming home later than um, I historically would and then I'm involved in lots of other things um, and they take up a lot of evenings your weekends you're either busy or you're just recovering ready for the week ahead when do you actually step back and think about what you want to do or what you could do even if you've got the physical time have you got the headspace to even be able to think about a different life and that for me was the bit I found most panicking in a way what would I do once I finished what what would I actually go on and do next because the thought of doing nothing wasn't an option I'm, I'm not someone who likes to just be sitting twiddling my thumbs um and the money, I mean, we were very lucky. I have a husband who works and we knew we could survive. That's fine. I think you cut your cloth to fit and that's not a problem for us. We don't, we're quite happy. It's lovely having more than you need, but actually you don't need more than you need. So we knew that we could survive. Pensions, I think I'd gone through this phase of being worrying about that and thinking it was oh this is so so important well it is important but actually it shouldn't dictate to you your happiness and your well-being and for me my well-being became really quite important if I was going to maintain it um, but I do think money for a lot of people is a factor because you just can't step out of a job and have the luxury of time to think about what you'd like to do. People then need an income straight away. So I'm, I'm aware that that was um, a position that I was in that lots of people wouldn't, which made it easier in some ways. 
And as you know, Jennifer, I'm really passionate about offering that headspace to uh, people here uh, and through uh, my coaching and through uh, the uh, residential uh, stays or sort of day stays um, so that people can actually work through those things, perhaps whilst they are in their existing uh, role within their existing uh, job, but just being able to step away for that for a short period of time to actually really be able to reflect and think about what's important uh, for them and maybe what some of those next steps are. So what were some of the steps that you then did take to help overcome these barriers and these sort of sort of confidence crises that uh, that you were facing at the time? Yeah, I I think sometimes you can get very caught up in the moment and, you know, that phrase, you can't see the wood for the trees, is very true. Um, I very much value having other people around who can just be that impartial pair of ears who who aren't there particularly to give me advice, but who actually can just bring a little bit of balance to it all. I was really lucky because work actually employed a coach for all their team managers to actually help us to think a little bit more about how we might want to, I guess from their point of view, move on in our career. But of course, ultimately for me, what happened from my sessions with the coach was I ended up deciding I was going to leave and that actually helped me to crystallise that. So I, I think I had sort of three, no, maybe four areas that helped me to find that headspace. The first was um, that sort of coach in a work-based environment who was just there to listen and to talk through stuff and to challenge me, I guess, over some of the self-beliefs that I had or the views about where I could be in the future and she was great actually um, there was also my husband who's really very good and balanced and will listen to my nonsense sometimes <laughs> and then just say mm, actually maybe you need to rethink that um, I'm I'm also a Christian so my church family the people I regularly spend time with who I see not just as good friends but actually as you know a wealth of of wisdom that they've gained over time and actually they're really great sources of people that you, you can trust to again be an impartial pair of ears and just sort of listen to things and then for me the fourth one is because I'm a Christian actually God kind of factors in this and Actually, for me, he's also an impartial pair of ears, um, but who has my well-being absolutely at the centre of things. So for me, praying through things and just being grounded by that was also really important. So how did you then make that transition into uh, a new career? Um, I Yeah... I mean, in some ways, it kind of reached ahead because my my line managers were brilliant and they knew that I was really under quite a lot of pressure and feeling quite, uh, yeah, just weary and worn down by it. So they were really accommodating and would spend time talking it through and trying to think of a plan 
for me in the coming few months that would help me to kind of hang on to better days but you know I just sort of think you you have to take ownership of things you can't expect other people to to make it right for you you have to be the one that that takes the step to do that um I think a couple of things happened at work that nothing went wrong nothing was a disaster nobody was hurt but just made me think really I don't feel safe doing this I don't have the time to make sure that I can do this safely and well and if it's just me that that's the case for that's fine I take that risk but I don't take that when other people are involved so that kind of gave me a bit of a wake-up call and thought no nobody's going to change this I have to change this if I'm the one that feels uncomfortable um and then I yeah I just handed in my notice I I wrote my notice and handed it in and I sat there I can remember sitting there at the computer with my finger over the send button and thinking am I going to what am I going to feel like once I press the button and I pressed it and actually there was just this huge sense of relief so thinking about tips uh, knowing that there will be other people out there that are perhaps going through a very similar situation maybe in a, a different type of, of job but but resonating with some of the things that, that you've shared about how you were feeling and some of the things that you were thinking what advice would you give to them now that you're sort of on the other side of it so to speak I actually sat down and wrote down what are the things I like about the job because there are lots of things even in a job you want to leave there are lots of things you will like and there are lots of things that you're good at so I sat down and I wrote those things down and actually the the coach that I saw she she was very good at that actually in sort of saying you know you, this is what you can do don't dwell on things that you can't do or you know fretting over those actually sit down concentrate on the things that you can do so I sat down and I did write down all the things that I was good at all the things in my job all the things that I was good at that were skills outside my job things that I really enjoyed in my job things that I really enjoyed outside my job um, and then things that I really didn't enjoy doing um, or that I didn't think I was very good at and that for me was a bit of a starting point and actually that helped to shape my thinking so that once I had handed in my notice over that the next holiday which happened to be this sort of Christmas period somehow it gave me the headspace to really start to think about what I could do instead and imagine a different life and certainly when I saw her she was helpful in, in sort of clarifying that and helping me to think through what I might be able to do next, um, where I'd like to head to, and actually how I could bring that into being, rather than just endlessly thinking about it and planning it, actually what steps would I take. When I'd actually finished, it, it actually then was a, a direction for me to go down. I could start to think about things that fitted those areas that I was interested in and really enjoyed. What other things could I do that would tick those boxes but leave out the things that I either didn't enjoy or wasn't very good at and that actually helped me to 
to step by step, you can't climb the mountain all in one go. It is very much that idea of one step at a time will get you there and to not panic that actually if you look up, the mountain to climb seems enormous. So once I decided what I wanted to do, which was um, decluttering, personal organisation with people, and I would set up my own company. Everyone tells you, oh, it's so easy to set up your own company. Actually, I discovered it was surprisingly hard because you don't know what you don't know. How can you ask people things for help if you don't know what you need to be asking? And I found that really quite panicky because it all seemed just too much. But again, having people outside that situation, like a coach or a trusted person, can really help you to focus back in on the things that you can do and to tackle them at a pace that's comfortable for you, but actually will get you there in the end without (laughs) dithering around too much. Uh, which is very easy to get caught up in. (laughs) So let's fast forward to now then, Jennifer. You're the owner of your own decluttering uh, business, Space Creators. Can you explain to our listeners what what type of work this this actually involves? What what is a decluttering business? Declutterers um, are people, they're problem solvers again. They're problem solvers who work with people who have a problem. And their problem is having too much stuff too much clutter and possessions in their house and I think it's really interesting because a lot of people sort of think that somehow you just work with hoarders or people who are in houses that are literally stuffed to the gunnels and I guess that's partly fueled by the sort of television programs that have been on but the reality is I see all sorts of different people and I think we're all of us on a kind of spectrum of tidiness if you like and at one end you've got people who are really quite almost obsessive compulsive I suppose who just very minimalist people who are at the minimalist end don't like anything around them they like clean lines empty spaces that for them is a comfortable place to be and then at the other end yeah you probably do have the people who are who are the hoarders who literally have houses full from floor to ceiling with possessions But we're all of us somewhere on that spectrum between one end and the other. And I personally don't think it matters where you are on that scale, as long as the position you are in is comfortable for you and it's comfortable for the people with whom you share that space. I think it becomes a problem for people when they cease to feel comfortable in their homes, in the place where they're spending time. And rather than it being a relaxing place in which they can do the things they want to do, it becomes a place where it feels a constant battle, where their possessions pull them down and they spend more time moving possessions around and trying to find possessions than actually living life. And that tends to be the sorts of people I see. I'm just wondering how many other listeners are doing the same as uh, I did when you were saying that, and wondering exactly where I was uh, on that on that spectrum. And then when you sort of said about uh, uh, how you know whether or not it impacts other people that you live with, <laughs> uh, again there was sort of a wry smile on my uh, face, wondering what my uh, what my husband would would say in terms of where he was on the scale and and where I was and where potential areas of conflict uh, could be. Um, 
So there are, there are certain personalities, well there's lots of personality tests out there and certainly some of those indicate that people are naturally more organised, um, sort of born organisers if you like, um, and others less so. so. So would you say that there are definitely people who are just naturally more tidy or untidy? Yeah, I think it's a general rule, that's true. People are, you know, they are genetically programmed to be what they are, but... Having said that, there's no doubt that if you grow up in an environment where it is one thing or another, you aren't necessarily going to learn, say it's a particularly untidy household, and again, there's nothing wrong with that if everyone's happy and comfortable in that, you aren't learning the skills of how to be tidy. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't learn it later, because certainly there was at least one family I've worked with where there were children that I was specifically employed to sort of spend time with and work with so that they could learn those skills. Because it is being tidy and being organised, actually there are ground rules, really, that you can follow that will enable you to manage it. It doesn't mean you will necessarily overnight become a super tidy person, but it will enable you to take control of it rather than your home controlling you. And I actually think that's quite important because a lot of the people I see just have reached a point through all sorts of reasons, life events that have just cropped up and got in the way, that have ended up where they live in a house that's full of things they don't want anymore or find are an emotional burden to them and just don't feel they can tackle it. Whereas, in fact, one of the lovely things that I'm able to do when I work with people is to show them that actually they can do it and it is possible. But again, it's those small steps. They don't have to clear the entire house in a weekend. It can be small steps that get them to the aim that they want. And, and a lot of what I do with people to start with is about thinking about their aims, how they want to have their house. And then we actually work out how we're going to do that. And I, in effect, teach them the skills so that they can achieve it. And one of the things I try and do is give them a really quick hit early on so they get that positive buzz of actually seeing something that was previously messy become really tidy and look lovely because that's a really nice positive feedback that people have that encourages them to take the next step. And then they do another area and we clear that. That's another positive step and feedback and they take the next step. So that's always lovely because when we get to the end of our sessions, people generally are quite shocked how much they can get through and how much they can clear and that actually ultimately they can tackle it on their own. So can you describe a, a typical client? You've inferred that it isn't um, you know just done on a on a one-to-one -one basis so typical clients what, what would that sort of include? Yeah I mean I guess most of the people I see are individuals. Um, I have had families and I have had couples but most of them are individuals Oh gosh, typical typical scenarios is hard to come up with, but I suppose two things that kind of spring to mind are people where they've had a relationship breakdown and that carried a lot of pain and difficulty for them. And actually they only called me in usually some years afterwards to then start to clear their home and to make it 
their home because for them there was a lot they couldn't deal with. There were a lot of their possessions that had too much, too many stories attached to them, too much emotion because they were connected with the past and with that relationship. And they'd finally reached a point where they needed to address that and so called me in and we could do that together. And there is something about that impartial voice, you know, just like with the coaching, the impartial voice who can stand back, who is caring and compassionate and will listen to you but actually can be the voice that says "Mm, you've said you want to keep that but but actually when did you last use it so it is just that slightly pushing them the slight boundaries but also knowing when to pull back and just being able to read people and and know people and I think the other sort of um, people I do see quite a lot of are maybe people who've lost family members And so they have a lot of possessions that came from, like, perhaps a parent's home. So they've absorbed their entire parent's belongings pretty much into their home. So they've now got two sets of possessions in their house, but can't let things go because they just have too much emotional attachment and it would feel like a betrayal. And again, I think having someone impartial in who you trust to be that sort of almost caring voice of reason I think people find makes it a lot easier to then let things go and we do a lot of sort of talking things out of the house people tell the story for the item and then can almost let it go and I think that's quite an important thing for people to be able to do that and know that that's okay to do that Mm, absolutely so how would you sort of sum up what the benefits of um decluttering um uh, are well i think there's lots of things and i think it it buys you literally physical space to be in so that you can do the things that you enjoy doing but also i think it gives you emotional and headspace a lot of the people I see when we get to the end of the session and it's very rare that we completely finish a job but hopefully I equip them with the skills to be able to go on and carry that on but they invariably say I feel like that a weight is lifted from my shoulders that I can see a way through this that I can see that a way that I can achieve this and I think that again that's the sort of thing that, that coaching does I really valued um and if i can pass that sort of skill on to people as well then that's that's great so people can live their lives not feeling worn down by their homes which ultimately should be a place you feel really comfortable and relaxed and able to have friends and family around too we've certainly inspired me to want to go and tackle there's an area at the top of my stairs that i know i definitely want to uh, go and tackle in a minute now for um for our listeners um what are some top tips that you can share so that actually we can all just go and put something uh in place today to sort of do a little bit of uh, decluttering for whatever that needs to be for each of us individually i think the biggest pitfall that people fall into is they embark on a job that's too big for the time they've set it and they're not prepared for it Mm. so if you want to start decluttering your house start small don't start with a whole room or the garage (laughs) set yourself a tabletop or the top of the stairs depending on how big the top of your stairs is not big it's not big (laughs) or a drawer set yourself something small 
and give yourself adequate time to do it. So you actually then literally just clear that area and don't get sidetracked. One of the other pitfalls people fall into is they get distracted. You know, they find a pile of photographs or an old diary or a magazine. And think, oh, that article looks so interesting. Actually, you know, the magazine will still be there afterwards. Stick to your task, stick to the time that you've set and clear it because clutter attacks attracts clutter. And if you've got a nice clear area, clear space, it's far less likely that things will reappear there and having done that you can then move on to another area and you'll see an actual difference that you're making whereas if you dabble a little bit here and dabble a little bit there you actually will finish the end of your session that you've set yourself and you'll look around and you'll think what on earth have I done I can't see any difference at all so kind of define the area give yourself adequate time and then put things away in their home I talk a lot with people about all your belongings should have a home. So if I sort of said to you, Kizzy, imagine where you keep your car keys or your Wellington boots or your writing paper or your bed sheets, you could probably in your mind think where those places live. Mm -hmm. That's their home. And people need to get into the habit of having homes for their possessions. And then actually when they've used them, putting them back afterwards because build-up of clutter on surfaces tends to happen because things don't find their way home. That's a really interesting point actually because um, as you and some of the listeners are aware we're currently uh, renovating our property um, and because of that there are a number of things that keep appearing on my nice clear work surface but a lot of the reason is actually because their uh, usual home is no longer <laughs> is no longer there um, so that's actually a really interesting point and something that um, has, has definitely resonated with um, with me so uh, thank you so if, if, if there is someone who's listening who wants to employ the services of um, a declutterer, um, how would you recommend that they find out, um, you know, who, who is available? OK, I mean, I know not everybody's um, on a computer, but actually, if you did a computer search, there is an association of professional declutterers and organisers, APDO UK, and actually, even if you put in APDO, A-P-D-O, you would find them. It would take you to their website and they have a sort of geographical map of the country and you could click on your area and up will come a list of declutterers and organisers in your area. Brilliant. And if people want to find out uh, more about uh, you and booking some time for you to come and declutter for them, um, how would they find out about you? Well, you could either go via the uh, Apto website because there'll be a little photograph that appears for anybody on there with a little blurb about their particular services that will link to that individual's website. And I have um, a website which you can find at www.space-creators.co.uk and there you can have a look at... Um, what I look like because actually for a lot of people that's the first contact they have with you but also there's a little bit of blurb about who I am and how I work with people there's handouts on there so that if you're interested in trying to do more for yourself and take that further forward or working with children there are all sorts of handouts that you can just print off 
very welcome to them that might just help set you on your way. Um, there's also other information that's of organisations that might be of interest um, and that would be the way to do it. Jennifer, that's been fantastic. Thank you so much. Honestly, I'm genuinely really inspired to go and tackle my stairs. And for those of us that celebrate the Christian faith, we've just moved into the season of Lent, which is actually about um, personal and spiritual sort of spring clean and declutter. And I'm just wondering, have you given anything up for Lent or are you doing anything for Lent? Oh, do you know, mine's really flaky. <laughs> everybody but do you know I'm going to be 50 this year and I kind of feel like I need to be ready for being 50 <laughs> so I'm trying I am trying aren't we all trying to shed some weight <laughs> so this Lent I'm doing the same as everybody else I'm giving up cakes biscuits sweets but actually the other thing that really struck a chord with me is is the Diocese of, of Bath and Wells they're very much the bishops are very much promoting this sense of taking up generosity and I don't think that's just about you know giving away money but it's actually about generosity towards people and actually generosity towards yourself and I was really struck by that so although I'm not rigorously every day trying to do an act of generosity towards people I'm trying to let that shape my thinking about how I treat myself and how I treat others because actually, um, you know, that that is in the long run going to have far more of an impact on my life than I suspect giving up a few sweets will. Absolutely, absolutely. And is about Lent is about that change, that challenge of our, our attitudes uh, and our behaviours. So uh, I wish you all the best for uh, for that. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. It's been fascinating and um, I know that our uh, listeners have taken so much from that and I, I'm fairly sure that they'll all be like me, running away with uh, grabbing boxes to start throwing bits and pieces away and starting to get things organised. So thank you very thank much. Thank you, Kizzy. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. So that's it for this month. Thank you so much again for joining me and uh, thank you again to Jennifer for being my guest. Next month we'll be talking about making a difference through creating with the arts and um, I'm going to be talking to somebody specifically about creative writing. So if that's something you've always fancied having a go at then do tune in again next month at 9am on the final Thursday of the month. If you've heard something today that you would like to take some action on and you would like to have some headspace and supporting through some coaching with me, then please do get in touch. You can either contact me through the link at Coach Radio International or you can contact me through my website www.goodlifecoaching.co.uk or you can contact me via Twitter and my Twitter handle is at goodlifekizzy, K-I-Z-Z-Y. So do get in touch. I look forward to hearing from you and being with you next month. Take care. Bye-bye.